Hey guys, all this month we're asking you to tell a friend about a podcast they'll love. Right now, think of a friend, your mom, anyone you care about, and what podcast they would really love. Got it? Now do it. Tell them about it in real life or on social media, and if they don't know about podcasts, show them how. Tell us what you recommended with the hashtag TryPod. T-R-Y pod. Thanks for spreading the word. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Channel 33 podcast. My name is Sean Fennessy and I'm the editor-in-chief of The Ringer. Today I'm joined by a very special guest, Jordan Peele, who many of you probably know as one half of Key and Peele and is now the writer and director of one of the best and most successful movies of the year. It's called Get Out. It's about a young African-American guy visiting his white girlfriend's parents for the first time. It's a horror movie. It's a comedy. It's a satire. Jordan describes it as a social thriller in the vein of Rosemary's Baby and The Stepford Wives. Jordan, congratulations on Get Out, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is a wild time. This, uh, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't get any more wild than this past couple of weeks here, for me, for old JP. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's two weeks since the movie's been released, about 10 days. It's been um, incredibly financially successful. What's the number on that? You got that in front of you? I, th- I honestly think I know what it is, but I think it's 75.8. Is that right? Damn. I, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking to you to help me out, but damn. It's your money, not mine. <laughs> um, so, you know, I want to go really way back to the beginning with the movie. Okay. Um, it's obviously a very uh, complex and thrilling thing, but it's a little bit hard to explain. So I'm curious, you started writing in 2008, is that right? I would say um, 2008 to 2012, I was in what, what's called like the outline phase, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of coming up with the premise. Um, you know, I was working on this premise as, long, as well as several other movies and scripts. And then, yeah, about three years ago, I actually wrote the script. So, yes, I started writing it um, in the vaguest sense in, in 2008. So you were still on Mad TV at that time, right? It was about right after I left Mad TV and Barack Obama was running for president. Mm-hmm. It, it was around it was just around that sort of general area, yeah. Was that like an inciting incident? Did you find yourself watching cable news and seeing how people were talking about the world? Yeah, I mean, we all were, right? Yeah. I mean, the, Barack Obama was just, that was just a total game changer, a culture shifter, an eye opener. But um, I think what, you know, what, what we sort of found after he got elected, shortly after he got elected, it was this, it was a sort of self-congratulation, a uh, self-congratulatory thing where it's like, okay, we've cured racism. And, um, you know, uh, many of us know that that just wasn't the case. Um, so it, it, it just, it, it struck me that this, this movie now had uh, had a a place in, in in culture that there would there could be a horror mo- modern horror movie about race that discussed these issues that were sort of being swept under the rug. When you started writing, was your expectation that you were going to be the director of the movie? No, you know my my expectation really when I started coming up with the concept was like just developing this idea that would help me become a better writer. It would be, you know, I think the best thing I ever did was I took the um, just the the shackles off, um, pun intended, of uh, of of having to write something that could be producible, mm-hmm. so to speak. So, 
I wasn't thinking about this in terms of it getting made. I was thinking of it in terms of what's my favorite movie that doesn't exist. That's really smart. So when you're doing something like that, are you talking to friends and colleagues and saying, I'm working on this thing, or would you read it for me, workshop it, or is it very private? Um, no, it's pr- I'm, I'm, I'm fairly collaborative. So I feed off of people's opinions, and I'm, te- I'm generally the type of guy who, if someone gives me a note or a thought, even if I don't agree with that note or thought, I'll try and get to the root of what it's about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's that's you know I've I've got some very close friends I really depend on their opinion a lot and you know certainly by the time I wrote the script and we were uh, moving on on the production it's like any any thoughts or reactions I could get from the script are I'm 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 hungry for. Did anything significant about the movie change from that from that time? You know if you if it's got a you know, six or seven year germination period, you know, did you think you were going to be writing one kind of movie and did it change a lot over time? A ton. Yeah. A ton. I mean, the the very first um, uh, notion that this movie came from had nothing to do with race. It was about uh, a guy who is brought, you know, who, whose girlfriend brings him to a a party with all of her old high school friends he's meeting for the first time. So it was more it was really about the the fear of being the outsider in a social situation and people are telling, you know, do, doing hey, remember remember junior high man when uh old doozer you know spilled the spilled the beans on the the prom floor, you know, all that stuff and you're just looking around like what 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 what. So there's some of that in the scene with Jeremy at the dinner table mm-hmm. where it's just like you just kind of catch up to this 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 story that everybody knows. But um anyway, very quickly I realized, you know what? This no, this notion is perfect for the, you know, the the uh, describing the African American experience especially when you're uh when you feel like the outsider mm-hmm. or the lone African American somewhere. I'm curious if the kind of the tone or the approach of the movie changed when you're in production because obviously the nature of the country changed a lot in mm-hmm. that time too. I, were you shooting in 2016? Yeah, we shot uh, at the end of two, 15, beginning of 16. And yes, we were, I really wrote the movie before the country sort of got woke to, yeah. you know, police shootings and elements of the uh, uh, prison industrial system and all that. The you know the biggest shift was realizing that the movie had to you know was about you know spoiler alert but it was about kind of giving us a, a hero mm-hmm. um, from the the pain and and the horror and so and you know that the the place for this movie is you know a place to not you know we're not 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 only is it about not um, ignoring race. And the the racial horrors of the, of this country, um, which was kind of the first idea behind the movie. It's not only that, but it also has to be something that gives us an escape, gives us a hero, gives us a fun way to enter um, further conversation. Yeah, it feels like we have this boomeranging effect now, where people were talking about a post racial society, then as you said, America gets woke, and then we enter into a very charged political climate where people are more aware of sort of division between 
race, sex, gender, for any number of reasons. Were you well? Were you were you concerned that because we weren't in an Obama administration mm-hmm. anymore, we were in this sort of new political moment that yeah. the movie would not be as effective, or that audiences wouldn't get it as well as you wanted to? Yeah, I mean that crossed. I didn't know how it would how it would change things. Mm-hmm. It did cross my mind for a second that oh my gosh, I, I wrote this movie. In a response to this, the post-racial lie, mm-hmm. you know, the the racial cover-up, like we're saying that race isn't a thing. This movie was a response to that. So by the time the the country was now, you know, in the middle and f- sort of we we have to face, we all know we sort of have to face this conversation. There was a period where it was like, oh my gosh, so the. Yeah, the point of the movie is shifting. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we, you know, I, I I sort of found the the new purpose for it, that being a sort of release and an escape. And, um, you know, p- pretty quickly I realized it's it's actually going to connect with more people because more people are going to give us a sh- give it a shot. Like in, in, the, in the era that I wrote the movie, I feel like less people would be inclined to actually go see it because mm-hmm. it'd be like, no, come on, I don't want to. I don't want to engage. If you talk about race, if you see a movie about race, it's just perpetuating something we're 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 done with. Obama, yay. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 white liberalism that you kind of have a magnifying glass on, probably more people would have been inclined to say like, "Oh, this isn't this isn't as big a deal as it seems like as this movie's trying to make it out to be, you know?" I think so. Mm-hmm. And I think so in, in some ways I think it, it it would have had a more important statement mm-hmm. back then, slightly. But, you know, now I think the the release, the hero, the escapist part is more welcome. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm curious how you balance this movie, right? Because we're talking about some very heavy themes. It's a very serious movie in some ways, but in other ways, it's hilarious. And it's also quite scary in a way that is not scary. The most horror movies are scary. How do you balance all those kind of elements into a movie like this? I mean, there's not a lot of comparison points. You you reach back kind of to the 70s for some of your touch points. Mm-hmm. So when you're writing and directing, how do you say, well, I know exactly how I'm going to hit the tone? It's Stepford Wives and Scream. Mm-hmm. I looked at those movies very closely. Um, they both have, you know, this the, a, a, a lot of the more lighter, ironic, comedic choices in the in 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 the fabric mm-hmm. of the. The script. So in the Stepford Wives, the way that they all speak like they're in a Clorox bleach ad, you know, where they're the, the good housewife, it has this really satirical tone that is is dark, but it is it is funny mm-hmm. in a subtle way. So I've got those elements through. And then, um, you know, I think where Scream was effective was it sort of addressed horror movies um, within the you know, had this postmodern sort of reference. And so in, in that way, it, it, it's more realistic mm-hmm. than a normal horror movie where there's not, there's no knowledge of any horror tropes or anything. So, you know, that I, I took cue from that with the character Rod, that we, we could have a character that expresses what the audience wishes somebody would say, and that wouldn't be breaking the reality. It would actually be grounding it more. So besides those two elements, I just tried to tell a straight thriller. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it works really well. There's not a lot of the sort of traditional jump scares you don't have. In fact, like rather than don't go in that house, you literally have a character who's trying to get out of the house. You know, you're kind of inverting some of the. And I do have some jump scares. I got a couple. Just a couple. Just a couple. It was a a tough choice because, you know, I I do. I respect movies like The Shining, you know, that's like one jump scare for this entire creepy thing. And it's like the scariest movie of all time. Yep. 
at the end of the day, I realized this movie was I had to use every part of the buffalo. So you that is a hor- that is horror movie. <laughs> you um you made the movie with Blumhouse, which um is obviously a very successful, largely horror driven production team. Mm-hmm. Um, do you get notes from a from a company like that that knows really well how to you know create and sell a movie like this, or are you operating on an island when you're making your movie? So I made with Blumhouse and QC Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the real reason these guys are so good at what they do is that they're in just such support of the director and, and the auteur. Um, that was my experience was I got to make the movie I wanted. You know, it's that, that's the beauty of these micro-budget uh, projects is, you know, I, I think Jason realizes that the, you know, the spark for these most successful films he, he makes is in somebody's sort of singular vision. Was anybody expecting more of a comedy from you on this, uh, you know, or was it always, was it always clear that this was going to be as straight a thriller as it is at times? Well, you know, that's that was like the biggest um, question mark for me too uh, with this shift. Um, you know, it, it really did take me, you know, years ago, you know, telling my reps and telling people, okay, there's so just so you know, this I'm, I'm going to make this big change. You know, it's you would literally say that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that that was this was my you know w- once I sort of realized that the opportunity you know the the work I'd done in in comedy and you know all that was sort of providing me with opportunities. Yeah, I mean it was all, it was all very strategic. This is because I knew this was what I wanted to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't necessarily think this movie would get made, but um, yeah, I had to uh, yeah I had to let some reps go at a certain point because I felt like they weren't quite latching on to, you know, it's kind of a crazy thing, right? You sure. got, especially when you have like, uh, you know, a successful comedy career, it seems mm-hmm. like something, you know, you can make movies, you've, you've, you've made, you know, forged ground in that territory to say, okay, now I want to do something else before I've even like really capitalized off of that. Yeah, some people have pointed out that there have been certainly Key and Peele sketches that where you can kind of see hints at horror and hints at satire in, that, in this specific way, but nothing that's quite so overt. How did you actually get it made then? How did you actually get it across the line? Did it just have to get into the right hands? Yeah, I mean, it, this, it, this, this wasn't a situation where I was like going around shopping this thing and having doors slammed in my face. Like I said, I, didn't, I did not think this movie was ever going to get made. Part of that was because of the state I put myself in to write it. You know, mm-hmm. I thought that was not the goal. And then the other part was I felt like the, yeah, I mean, the the issues uh, and the, the, the imagery was so, um, <laughs> was so edgy um, racially that no, no one would give me money to do this. And also, you know, just, just because, you know, the, the perception of movies in general is that, you know, white people direct movies. So that seemed like that was almost insurmountable odds with this movie, because if you watch this movie and don't realize it comes from a black perspective, you might have different kind of feelings or different takes on it. So all these things were stacked up against it. I went to Sean McKittrick at QC Entertainment maybe three years ago, sat down with him for a general meeting and started the meeting by just saying, OK, so here's a, this is one of my ideas. 
It's one of my favorite ideas. It's never going to, no one's ever going to make it, but I want to tell, tell you about it just because I think you're going to get a kick out of it. By the end of that, I told him the whole plot. By the end of it, he was like, let's make that movie. So that was the beginning. And then, you know, cut to a few months later, I've written the movie. Blumhouse gets wind of it and they, they pounce. And there were, there were a couple other partners that did pass on it. They didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very um, satisfying. Happy day, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm really curious about the cast. Sort of the three white leads are these like low-key icons of white liberalism. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the black performers are are not as nearly as well-known. I'm curious if that was a specific choice that you were trying to make to show new faces on one side and people who have like a lot of you know, built-in identification on the other side. Well, that's, of course, a symptom of the, the industry, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we, we've, we've nurtured white talent and careers and not black ones, you know, in, in a, any sort of widespread, you know, fashion. Um, you know, when I'm just looking to uh, cast this movie, first thing you go, okay, so um, it would be great. We, we need a 26-year-old black Leading man. Okay, so let's see. Who is there? Who is there? Okay, Michael B. Jordan. Okay, that's one. And right, it sort of runs out yep. real fast. You know, there's some great actors out there Chadwick Boseman, John Boyega, but, um, there's, you know, they're that's, a little tied up that's with franchises it. right now, too. And then they're also tied up with franchises. Yeah. That's it. So, you know, very quickly realized that part of the the purpose of this movie, part of what I'm trying to say with this movie is about the representation. And, uh, you know, Daniel's a very accomplished actor, but he's a guy who, quite frankly, he should have been a lead already. Mm-hmm. Um, he's 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 my favorite actor in uh, in the world right now. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's why we don't know the black characters, I think. Yeah. We should say, isn't it? Daniel Kaluuya is the star Daniel of your Kaluuya, movie. Yeah. Um, and I had seen him from Black Mirror episode, mm-hmm. you know, and Sicario. Mm-hmm. He's just an incredible talent. But, um, yeah, the, it was, it was both sad and, um, you know, and, and made me feel good to be able to, to, to realize and be able to like you know, give people who are equally hardworking black actors and performers this opportunity to get these great roles as well. And then, of course, I was just so honored, so honored to have actors like, you know, Bradley and Catherine and and Allison, uh, you know, take a chance with this this movie that if it's if it's done if the movie's done wrong it mm-hmm. doesn't reflect on them very well. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> That's true. They had to they had to buy into. They some had to notion. trust me. Yeah. yeah. Were you surprised by how overwhelmingly positive the reception for the movie was? Yeah, I, you know, I was, I was, I was surprised how overwhelming it it it, it was. It, you know, it's like you make a movie, and I mean, for for me, you know, some people make movies, and the idea is like, hey, if you uh, if you get it, good for you. If you don't, fuck it. This mm-hmm. is my this is my voice. I'm I'm in the vein. I, you know, I love you know like Spielberg and. Um, you know Tarantino, people who are making, you know, they're doing their own voice, but they're also like they're honoring the audience's entertainment. Um, so this movie was designed to catch and to be some, you know, to be water cooler conversation, to be oh you have to I can't even talk to you about it until you've seen it. I was I'm more surprised that it got made and got the release 
that it got. Yeah, just before we started talking, you were saying you knew that there were a couple of elements of the movie that you thought would work well because they would create conversation. I will say, like, I think 99% of people that make movies have no idea how to even do that in the first place. Like, how do you create something that creates conversation? So it's kind of amazing that you knew you could use the movie as like a, you know, a Trojan horse for so many of these things. Um, was that, that was all purposeful? You were like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to create twists. I'm going to create conversation yeah. makers. I mean, very. I think probably one of the first things I did when I started writing this movie, you know, it's like you ask yourself, what do I like? And uh, I love twists. Mm-hmm. And so I was, you know, thinking, all right, well, a movie, you, you know, a, a good twist can turn a, a crappy movie into a water cooler discussion. So what, what, what if I give them like five twists in this? Is that possible? Has anyone ever done that? And... Uh, yeah. I'm curious about the flip side of the reception. So obviously the movie's been very well reviewed and it's making a lot of money. I do think that there is, and this is kind of a complicated thing to identify, but some of the targets of the satire of the movie are potentially not necessarily realizing that they're the targets or they're not properly understanding some of the nuances of the movie. I don't know if you've noticed that at all, maybe in the way that it's been talked about in, in the preceding days. So you mean like uh, people who uh, are saying the movie's racist and that kind of thing? Well, I think there's two versions of it, right? There's people. There are certainly people who are saying the movie's racist, mm-hmm. and that's a very um, strange and negative reaction. And then there's also people who are like theoretically Bradley Whitford and Catherine Keener in the first half of the movie, who maybe don't quite capture some of the satire that you're shooting for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I've seen both and it's been, I've heard a lot of both in conversation in the last 10 days. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if any of that has come your way either. You know, I mean, I haven't gotten that reaction where people are sort of missing the point. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what I've, and, and only like sort of tangentially do I hear of people objecting to the movie. It sort of seems like most people who object haven't seen it, mm-hmm. you know, um, but you know, they're also welcome to object. Yeah, in the wrong hands, it probably could be riled up into some sort of faux, faux controversy. But, I don't, you know, I don't see too much of that happening right now. In the wrong hands of, you mean, the, a filmmaker? A, or anybody. If, of anybody. Audiences, yeah. people, a lot of people. Without, lot you know, that was, a, that was a concern of mine is like, you know, yeah, you never, I'm putting this out there and it's got its intended effect. But, yeah, who knows? Maybe this will create a civil war. Who knows? That would have been an even <laughs> have bigger been a, response. That would have been a bigger response. <laughs> so I saw the movie a second time, and um, cool. it was a very rewarding experience. Thank you. Uh, it's the, the script is a real Swiss watch, and there's a lot of clues baked inside. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, and I would encourage people to see it a second time for that reason. I'm curious if you went back after maybe writing it straight through, if you went back to try to add in some little Easter eggs and nuggets, or if that was something that you were doing kind of from the very beginning. A little of both. I mean... You know, this this I, I probably wrote thirty to forty drafts of the script, so it changed. It, you know, it always evolved. It always, you know, every time I'd pass it, I'd come up with something that'd be like, oh, you know what, this is this will plant this payoff later. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all very intentional. I have to say, my my presumption was like any any filmmaker is doing this, and that I didn't necessarily think the audience would. Um, key into all of it as much as they are. So it's very cool, very encouraging. Definitely going to keep that 
tech, that part of the technique. And yeah, future. you've created a lot of internet content in the last <laughs> few it. days. I love it. Um, I'm curious what it's like to see all all of your creativity get memed. You know, it's really yeah. get out has become like a social media monster. It's very cool. I mean, you know, I, and obviously it's like we had a little practice with Key and Peele, very memeable. Um, this is just hitting, you know, the timing of this and um, is just hitting in a re- really fun, ridiculous way. And um, it, it, it's so satisfying because, you know, the more, more than anything, any sort of one point I'm trying to make with this movie, I wanted I wanted a to kind of offer a f- like a, a fun starting point for racial conversation and, uh, you know, maybe some new um, touchstones in how we discuss race. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when I see things like the sunken place or, you know, the, the teacup kind of be, cre- creating some iconic meaning, I do feel like it's it's filling some some gap in what our racial conversation was. Yeah, every every visual choice too is really loaded. You know, you've got lacrosse stick and the mm-hmm. concept of tea and the teacup and all those things kind of being destroyed. Is all of that stuff happening ahead of time before you're shooting, or did you? Or was the set like more open and were you guys improvising or adding new things at the last minute? Um, both. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot planned, but then you know, I'll be on set and. You know, there. I'm trying to figure out. Okay, what's the weapon Jeremy should have? Is it going to be a lacrosse stick or a golf club? Oh, you know what? Funny Games did the golf club. Let's go lacrosse stick. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's a, every conversation you have with every department head. You're you're trying to like train them how I'm thinking about this movie, and that you know every every choice is either has some sort of satiric thing or some other meaning or three meanings. Um, it's just a it's just a constant sort of state of mind. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Since 1993, the AV Club has produced some of the best pop culture writing out there. And now, after 20 years of talking about TV, things are coming full circle for the folks at the AV Club. They're getting a TV show. The show, which is hosted by the the talented John Teddy, invites you, the fanatic or casual observer, to really geek out about all things pop culture, from TV to movies to music to games and even food. So on March 16th at 9 p.m. Eastern, get your snack of choice and turn on Fusion TV to catch the premiere of the AV Club show, hosted by John Teddy. And be sure to go to fusion.net slash where to watch for channel listings. And hey guys, for the rest of this conversation, Jordan and I are really going to be spoiling a lot of Get Out, so be forewarned about spoilers and uh, enjoy the rest of the chat. Was there anything you couldn't get into this movie that you really wanted to? An idea or, or be even a scene or segment? There was early on, um, at one point there is a video that plays in this mm-hmm. movie that... Um, We're entering a spoiler territory, that's entering fine. Entering spoiler yeah, territory, yeah. but there's a video that the lead character watches that answers some questions and uh, sort of uh, uh, sets up this process that he's going to be going through. In the original draft of the script, you know, there's this m- sort of musical torture <laughs> s- s- sequence that that this, this replaced. What was the soundtrack to that sequence? It was uh, James Taylor's "You Got a Friend." <laughs> All you got to do is call, and I'll be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a friend. 
which is a great song. But you know, I was I'm really into the idea of taking a sort of upbeat or a pleasant song and giving it the horror context where now you can't hear it the same way. So um, I had you know. You know, Chris is basically forced to listen to "You Got a Friend" over and over again. That sounds pleasant. Which, um, yeah, would and then it, there was a whole reason and a way that I tied into why that was necessary for the process. Um, but uh, you know, very early on, it was like, okay, so how many times can we afford, afford uh, James Taylor's "You Got a Friend," uh, written by Carol King? Um, maybe once. Um, so that went, you know, that went away, and then. You know, I, I came up with the the video, which I think is actually better. Yeah, and you do give us a couple of great um, musical moments. The song playing in Jeremy's car mm-hmm. kind of does that a little bit for us, and we get a little bit of um, the Dirty Dancing soundtrack mm-hmm. in a very and Redbone and Redbone. Yeah, exactly. This is a this is you know this is the difference between early making the movie when you're you know we don't know what how good it's going to be, or mm-hmm. I should say they don't know how good it's going to be. And then a little bit later in the process, when they sort of see the movie, and now I can be like, "Hey, can I um, can I possibly add the uh, the the dopest um, hip hop track, soul uh, soul track? I don't know what Redbone is. R and B track by Childish Gambino. Yeah. Um, for the last two months, and they're like, oh, okay, we get it now. Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing thing too. I mean, that song is two months old, three months old, you know, and you, it, it just feels very present. It feels very like of yeah. the moment. Yeah. And that was, it, well, that was such an important, ter- you know, I, I had Donald in a couple months ago to watch the movie and I knew I wanted to use this track. And uh, he loved it. And, you know, just getting to put that in, I knew it was just, that was going to be the little, the cherry on top um, as far as t- telling the audience um, this movie is right now. This, mm-hmm. this you couldn't make this movie half a year ago. It's, yeah, it's happening now. It's amazingly effective. So we'll just do a couple of spoilery things at the at the end here. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. You know, you talked last week a bit about an alternate ending um, that you had discussed. I'm curious if there was ever a time when you thought that the movie should not end with Chris escaping from from the horror. If he should have a, if there should be sort of a down note. On the movie is that did you would it, was it would it have ended that way? Yeah, you know i I wrote like I said, I did very many a lot of drafts. I wrote many endings mm-hmm. to it. Um, there is, and yes, one one of the endings uh, does not end. A, a, a couple of them don't end, didn't end as happily um, as this. Uh, you could probably sort of uh, figure out the direction that. Uh, I was going, but um, you know, one of the one of the big moments in this movie, spoiler alert, is that when the cops arrive in this movie, the entire audience realizes that cops this is the one horror movie where the cops arriving is not a good thing. Yeah, you are an icon of the TSA now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so when the when the, the cops arrive from that point forward, we uh, we went a darker route. Um, or I should, I went a darker route with the script and it was, you know, that was, um, because the, you know, the time I was writing it in, I felt like we needed this wake up call and we needed to kind of make that point that you, we know what would happen, mm-hmm. um, if, uh, Chris were, were to be rolled up on by a cop in the particular moment he's rolled up on, um, so, but yeah, then ultimately the, when we got the new ending, 
you know, by the time I changed it, which I also had written this ending early on too. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was kind of like I was, I had, uh, you know, I had a little spectrum of like four or five different ways it could go. By the time um, we were making the movie, it was clear that this, you know, the way it ends um, with a big cheer um, was the way to go. And uh, that that moment when the cops arrive is in itself does the whole job of teach, telling the audience, look, you know what this means. And that that if you know what it means, I don't need to tell you anymore. Now let's now let's have some fun. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's just beautifully alluded to at the beginning of the movie with the cop scene when the when when Chris's character and Rose's character are pulled over, and mm-hmm. you know, there's already this kind of built up tension in our head where we know there's an untrustworthy cop mm-hmm. in the vicinity. So yeah, and you know what? I mean, even without that scene, it probably would have played the same. It's true, because that's you know we that that's that's what we've been looking at. So one thing, my producer and I were talking about this yesterday. I'm curious. The, the decision to not have Chris kill Rose seemed very specific as well. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious about the thinking behind that and if, if that had changed at any time either. Yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. I mean, I had, I had every version of the, the, the script. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, you know, to me, the, the one that we used is the right one. And uh, it was, I, I was, I was questioned by it. Uh, questioned about it mm-hmm. um, in the making, uh, and sort of, I wanted to stick with my guns here because the yeah, the audience kind of thinks they want that mm-hmm. in the moment. Yeah, um, I don't think they actually did do want that. And uh, you know, to me, the whole idea is Chris is Chris is escaping. He's he's got to get out. He's this is, uh, he's he's committing violent acts by um, for survival, and this. Um, this moment you're describing is a moment where he's faced with killing out of anger. Um, and so I wanted that, you know, I, I wanted him to hold on to his humanity and, uh, you know, make, draw that line with what what type of violence we should be cheering on. Um, not that any violence should be cheered on, but, um, you know, violence for survival, violence for... Um, Self-preservation is something I think everybody can understand. You know, uh, self-defense is uh, is where it is, is is where it's needed, right? Um, so I just wanted to draw that line and say, look, you're not gonna, you're not, we're not gonna take my lead character's soul. We're not gonna turn him into what he's fighting. So, you've said you want to make three or four more social thrillers along these lines. I'm curious if that starts now for you or if you feel like you need to do something slightly different to get some room between the next uh, the next approach. Yeah, good question. I mean, like I said, like these these other concepts are things I've I've I have begun working on. I've been working on for a while. Um, Get Out was the first one to reach its sort of maturity and did Get Out have to be the first one? Was that kind of once you got the sense that you were going to be able to make this movie that you were like, this is part of a triptych or a quadrilogy or something? When when Get Out as a story, you know, started the connections started coming together, it was a sign to be like, okay, this is the one out of all my ideas, this is the one that's um, reaching its its readiness. Um, I you know I I. Th- 
not until the movie actually came out. You know, as I buried my head into this movie, not until it's come out that I have I realized, oh, okay, this is. I think people want want to see more of these, and that's great. I loved doing this, and I'm gonna have. Looks like I'm gonna have the opportunity to do more. So, let's 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 uh, let's let's do these other ones. So I, I will need some time to make sure they're good, that as good mm-hmm. as as Get Out. And no, I'm not trying to take any breaks. Although I am, you know, I'm EPing uh, the Tracy Morgan show on TBS right now. Um, you know, helping him with his comeback is 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 awesome and rewarding. He's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, there's a couple other some. You know, I've got the you know Monkey Paw Productions is my my company. I've got a you know TV deal with Sonar. So. We're going to get the TV side of things started and going in this direction as well. But, you know, as far as my personal passion, writing and directing these social thrillers is going to be it. Yeah, I feel like um, among film fans that I know, it's like we have a new we have a new guy. We have a new like great American <laughs> director. This is wow. a really cool moment. You know, that's like the coolest thing. That's the you know, I'm, I'm such a I'm such a film. It, it, like there's no dream, no monetary dream no no nothing that's as cool as like kind of feeling like i'm i'm in the nerd nerd sphere it's it's true you're in the, you're in the great game i'm in the great game i love it jordan love it. congratulations thank you, and thank you so much for coming in today i appreciate the conversation thank you man great 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 time cool This podcast is brought to you by the AV Club. After 20 years of talking about TV, things are coming full circle for the folks at the AV Club. They're getting a TV show about other TV shows hosted by someone who is obsessed with TV shows. It just doesn't get more meta than that. So on March 16th at 9 p.m. Eastern, get a snack and turn on Fusion TV to catch the premiere of the AV Club show hosted by John Teddy and go to fusion.net slash where to watch for details. The Ringers Gaming Podcast, Achievement Oriented, and our wrestling podcast, The Masked Man Show, are breaking off of Channel 33. You can now subscribe to each of them on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe now.